Greetings. Welcome to Sippin' Tea with D. This is your host, Deirdre Simmons. Thank you for joining us this evening. What makes someone a survivor? Is it their strength, resilience, their ability to cope despite adversity, or Is it just someone who manages to live through a situation that is just unimaginable? Well, if that's the case, my guest this evening is certainly that. She is a survivor. As we continue with our Survivor Series here at Sippin' Tea with D, my guest, Jeanette Westover, since the age of 10, was faced with physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Despite insurmountable odds, she pushed forward and she moved through, only to land and find her way on the other side. So, move in close, grab your tea, and take a listen because you don't want to miss this. Please be advised that tonight's episode contains sensitive language as well as subject matter. Tonight here on Sippin' Tea with D. We are talking about survival and what does survival look like? Oftentimes when people use the word survival, uh, we don't really think about what it entails to be a survivor, to overcome, to move through situations, to build ourselves up. Uh, And my guest this evening, Jeanette Westover, she's a native of Louisiana. She is just that. She is a survivor. She, from a very young age, was faced with situations and circumstances that many of us may not even be able to overcome. However, she has found within herself the ability to push forward, to move through barriers and to just come out on the other side. So I'd like to welcome Jeanette. Jeanette, welcome to Sip and Tea this evening. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me be a part of this experience. Oh, you are absolutely welcome. Jeanette, I, I'm really, really uh eager to tell uh, tell your story and for others to hear it. But before we get started, I must ask you that question, that infamous question that I ask all of my guests. <laughs> so Jeanette, I'm sitting here sipping on a bit of ginger lemon tea. What Ooh. tea are you drinking this evening? Tivana's Beach Bellini. It's absolutely delicious very fragrant as soon as you pull it out of the package that it comes from from the grocery store. Love Mm -hmm. it. 
Oh, that sounds really good. You're going to have to send me some information on that. I might have to check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So, Jeanette, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, it. I, I must tell uh, our listeners, um, I really, the way that we met uh, was quite unique. Uh, the, you know, there's a new platform um, called Clubhouse. And, you know, for those of that are iPhone users, if you haven't checked out Clubhouse, I suggest that you do so because it is a really, really awesome platform. You get to interact and engage with those who have similar interests um, and you get to meet really great and interesting people like Jeanette. Uh, I was in a clubhouse room one night and people were just, you know, being very candid, very open, just talking about our stories. And although... Uh, the room had was listed with one topic. The information that was flowing within the room was that of another topic. And I just, I looked at it as a healing room because there were so many people talking about uh, experiences from their childhood and how they had been impacted by them um, and how uh, those uh, situations had shaped them as adults. And that is when I heard your voice, Jeanette. Um, you came in and you started talking about uh, some of the uh, circumstances of your childhood. Um, could you share a little bit of that with uh, my listeners, please? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a rather difficult situation and um, I was abused from age five to nearly 17. Um, and that included being beaten, um, starved for extended periods of time. And, you know, for anyone who needs the appropriate trigger warning, um, raped starting at 10 years old regularly until I was out of the abusive household I was in at um, nearly 17. Mm. So, um, this also included being isolated from the rest of the world. I got pulled out of school halfway through fifth grade, um, and we were excommunicated from my mom's side of the family, and literally the only other people we were allowed to interact with were the people going to my stepdad's church mm -hmm. and the few churches that we would sometimes fellowship with, that being like one or two churches. Otherwise, every single day was in this place of sort of continuous isolation. Mm -hmm. And even out in public, we were watched extremely closely and very carefully. So it kind of felt like living in this sort of black hole that existed right in the middle of the city. It was a very, um, very surreal and oppressive sort of environment. Wow. Now, when you say that you were isolated, um, do you mean that you were isolated from, you were isolated, did, was this isolation coming from both of your parents or um, the need to isolate you guys were coming just from, you know, uh, you know, uh, one parent? It was generally one parent. Generally so, I, you know, the first portion of the abuse that I went through was with my biological dad. Okay. Um, and this was after um, a very abusive man met my mother 
and began to manipulate her with physical and emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And so very early on, for some reason, he had a grand dislike of me. And so around five years old, um, I saw my biological dad in the store and I gave him a hug. And that very night, that man demanded that I be sent away from my mother and my other brother um, and that I wasn't allowed to live in his household because I had hugged someone else as, as my father. My mother, knowing that, you know, even though she was trying to deal with this very manipulative figure and having come from an abusive household herself, Mm -hmm. she kind of just was not sure what was worse, going back to where she came from or dealing with this man. But for my own safety, she thought it would be better to go ahead and send me off to my biological dad. And so... I was with him until um, probably a little after my seventh birthday. Okay. And then by the time I ended up coming back to my mother and my stepfather, mm-hmm. it was because he had uh, abandoned me at the state building. He literally just left me there. Mm. Um, and I went into the foster care system. And when the custody hearings were done, it was decided I could turn to my mother and stepdad. Um, and so your biological dad actually left you? Yes, my biological dad, after I went through some very, very bad abuse under his hand, okay. with him being a drunk and just horrible things. After going through that with him, mm-hmm. he had met a girlfriend that, you know, she unfortunately had a stillborn child um right around my seventh birthday and she I believe disliked me specifically because I was the child of some other woman that he was taking care of and um sometime in the summer after my seventh birthday he woke me up went and bought me this really cute outfit I'll never forget it It was this light blue shirt with a little cow on it and Mm -hmm. then some matching pants that had like a cow print on it and some little cute tennis shoes and we went to the state building on downtown Shreveport and he had me to sit down on a bench and he said he'd be right back, except he didn't come back. And so at the end of the business day, you know, they're closing up and they're realizing this child has been here all day. Right. Um, and finally someone came and asked me, you know, who are you? Where are your parents? What's happening? And I said, well, my daddy told me he'd be back. He just, he just don't know where he is. And so, you know, I went through the whole intake process, them trying to figure out who I was, so on and so forth. And, you know, eventually- What what were you thinking though, sitting there all day? Like what was going through your mind? You know, it's crazy because it didn't dawn on me that I had been abandoned there at first. um, Because by that time, I had already been going through so much. There had already been times where I would be left alone, locked in a room Mm -hmm. while he was off doing whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it did not seem like such a stranger to me for me to be just kind of left somewhere for an extended period of time waiting for him to come back. Okay. Um, And so, and plus it wasn't like it was a situation where 
I felt loved or cared for. At that point, I had already been, um, I had already been severely abused even by that point. Um, I had been, I had gone through things that are, I feel like I can't even say it on this podcast because mm. of the degradation mm. of it. And that's coming from a long way saying that I was raped starting at 10. It was, in my opinion, worse than that. And I don't know, I guess, just for the purpose of the conversation. Okay. Um, I suppose I can kind of confide it here. And if you feel it is something that should be edited, then I will you to do so. Um, no, I want but, you to speak, I want you to speak your truth. I want you to yes. speak whatever is on your heart. So the types of abuse that I dealt with were him were not just physical abuse. He would get outrageously drunk. Mm-hmm. And before he got his own place, he lived with his mother. Okay. And oftentimes I was generally in her care. But if she was, you know, busy or had some other place to be for the night or whatever, then, you know, he was my parent and I was in his charge. And some of the things that I went through were just absolutely un- unreasonably ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like he had an issue with me getting candy. You know, when you're in kindergarten, if you do good at school that day, they give you candy when they say, Oh, you absolutely. Yeah. Well, for some reason, and then of course you can't eat it on the bus. You know what they say? If you don't have enough for everybody, don't take it out. So exactly. Yeah. Um, he, for some reason, had an issue with me having candy when I would get home. Never understood why. But for me, in my five year old logic, mm-hmm. I figured, okay, well, I guess I should just eat it between getting off the bus and walking into the house. It never occurred to me, just don't accept the candy. I don't know why that never came to me. But, um, well, day you, in your five-year-old mind, you know, you earn this treat. I mean, as, yeah. a, as a child, you know, you, you looked forward to getting it. It made you feel good. And mm-hmm. I, I think it might be just safe to say just because of the amount of abuse, uh, the only rationale and not wanting you to have it is that it was wrapped up in that abusive thought process and, and, and not yeah. wanting you to find pleasure or happiness in something that was not controlled by the abuser absolutely i can definitely see the the rationale in that Mm. and um one day i forgot to eat it before i came into the house and he found it in my pockets and he got a wooden hairbrush and he beat my hands with Mm. the wooden hairbrush i have no idea for how long but i had to stay home for the next two days soaking my hands in ice water and green rubbing alcohol wow um and some of my fingers are like a little crooked i have big joints which is a family trait but some of my fingers are a little crooked from that i wasn't taken to the hospital obviously um but you know there were the unusual things like that and then there was the 
absolutely heinous. Um, I was six years old when one day I came home from school, my grandmother wasn't there. And he told me, you know, I needed to take a bath. As a six-year-old, you know, so his room was off on the other end of the house. Okay. And um, he told me to just take my clothes off. We, how do I put this? We shared a room, but more like he kind of never was there. And so all of my clothing items were in there. Okay. Um, but that was just because I had been sent to live there. Mm-hmm. So um, he told me to go and you know, get undressed and then come back around to the bathroom so I could take my bath. And at six, okay, you know, it's not a thing to be naked. Anyways, um, I did as I was told, except he stopped me in the kitchen. And he told me to pee in a cup and poop on a pie pan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't need to do those things. So uh, why I don't need to use the bathroom. I don't understand why I'm not doing this. And he started to whip me. Um, you were unable to do these things. Uh, yeah, essentially, um, oh. until he started to whip me. Um, and this went on for about an hour and a half of, you know, him, whipping me and demanding that I do this Mm -hmm. eventually I was able to squeeze out some pee and um manage to poop and to my horror he demanded that I drink my own urine and eat my own feces oh no he beat me until I did it and you 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 speak and you speak about it with such clarity but what what were you literally feeling as a child do you remember do you have any idea like how you felt in those moments it was absolute terror um and i it's funny because you you talk about something that i of course i'm in therapy now okay and when I talk about it, a lot of times I try to talk about it from a, a very objective standpoint, okay. kind of like someone that. chronicling a history. Oh, instead okay. of um, that's why I when I talk about it, it's very cut, dry, and nearly unemotional. Okay, so you feel like you've dis- it's a detachment yeah. for survival purposes if you will understood Understood. at that time I I, and I don't want to like tap too much into that moment but I can tell you that there was a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. a lot of terror Mm -hmm. and a very strong sense of wondering where anybody was where is my grandma where is my aunt where is anybody because I don't understand what's happening. And I hate to be so frank about this, but he was drunk so often and did such unusual things that even though this was a leap in the absolute 
quality of degradation. Mm -hmm. It was not a sense of, oh, who is this man doing this to me? This is terrible. He seems like a stranger to me. He had already been so abusive by that point that it was more like, oh, he has reached a new level of evil today. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, this is entirely like I've never like it wasn't a sense of, oh, I have a good dad. And suddenly he's being bad. No, did, it was, did you call he's him? bad. And this is way worse than I thought. Gotcha. What did you call him, by the way? Did you call him dad or did you call him dad? I did. I did. He was he my did. dad. So, so. so when you said that to him, it was just, it did not have the, 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 the title necessarily. It was a title. It didn't have any connotation to it in terms of this is my dad doing these things to me. This just said, this is dad. Or his name is dad. No, I mean, it really was like, this is my father who is doing this to me. No, I fully understand. Us understood that. Okay. It was just, my father was bad. Like that was, that was the understanding that I had in my mind. My father has hurt me several times in the past, but this is just entirely a new level of hurt. And I don't understand how Mm -hmm. he could force me into this right and even when that part was over and I'm hysterical he then takes me to the bathroom where I'm supposed to be getting this bath and he starts running scalding hot water and he puts me in the tub and keeps running my head under this water until I pass out I woke up at some point in the night um for just a few moments and I was dressed and in a coat and I heard him and my grandmother arguing Mm -hmm. and then I passed back out again the next morning I woke up at my aunt Ruby's house which is my grandmother's sister okay um and I woke up and went to the bathroom I found blood in between my legs Okay. And I remember screaming and my aunt Ruby coming to me and no one would explain to me what had happened. She just sat me in the tub and started cleaning me and just telling me things were okay or whatever, Mm -hmm. but nothing else. No one would explain to me why I was bleeding. Did you ever tell you, you mentioned your grandmother before and your aunt, but did you ever tell anyone, did you ever try to confide in anyone or say, this is what's going on. I am, you know, this is how I'm being spoken to. This is how I'm being treated. Did you ever feel that or tell anyone to speak those words? I don't, not to my grandmother at that time, that particular grandmother, not because I didn't think I could, but because she was aware. Like she, you know, this is her house she would come home and see me, you know, with battered hands. She's the one putting my hands in the ice and the alcohol. So she could see it. I don't know if she ever knew about what happened with the cup and the pie pan, but she knew something, you know, that's why they argued and she to my aunt. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm saying she never said anything to you. You know, did she ever say, I'm sorry, this is happening or. Um, For what it's like, worth, I can admit that I don't remember. Okay. If she okay. did, 
Okay. Um, so I don't want to say that she never did, and maybe she did, but I just don't remember. And I recognize that part of that is because if you want someone to be safe, you take the steps to make them safe. And that was her son, but it was her house. Right. And she saw the abuse escalating, but she did not put him out until after that particular situation. When I came back from my Aunt Ruby's home, okay. he okay. was not there anymore. Okay. Did they explain to me anything? No, but he was gone. He was gone. That, he right. Was gone. But so it was she did take some steps to try to do something. Um, is right. it fair to say, uh, do you feel that she was afraid of him? You know, I never considered that. Okay. 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 But it's, it's a fair thought. Okay. My biological dad is very tall and mm -hmm. very built. Okay. Uh, his sister, from what I understand, is either nearly six feet tall or almost on it. Okay. And also very built. Okay. Um, we are also like my genetics show their side, you know, and gotcha. I'm also very built, if you will. Okay. Um, so that's something I never considered. And I do appreciate that a potential insight mm -hmm. um, because it's something that I just never understood. I'm, I'm glad that she put him out at that point, but mm -hmm. the motion was short-lived because when he got his own place I was sent to go live with him and his girlfriend so it was a short-term protection that eventually put me back into his hands anyway right, right which you know even living with them it was an entirely different type of cruelty where it was made extremely clear how disliked I was, how absolutely abhorred I was. They would, they had these two big dogs that they kept in their converted carport garage or whatever. Okay. And this is where the dogs, I guess, stayed most of the time other than when they walked. And I don't know what they were feeding these dogs, but they would poop in big old sloppy messes. Mm-hmm. And they would make me go outside into this enclosure and clean up the dog poop by hand. No gloves, no nothing, just with big trash bags and force me to go out there and clean it up and scoop it into these trash bags and use this green laundry detergent to scrub up, scrub the, what do you call it? The, the concrete of it and use a water hose to spray it all out. And I would throw up out there from the smell and the stench and the work. And I will never forget looking up and there was this window from the kitchen that looked out into the garage. I'll never forget looking up and seeing that woman who was his girlfriend laughing at me. Mm. I threw up out there. I will never forget that. And him walking into the room behind her, he looked out there and just kept it moving. Like it was nothing. I was so hated by that woman. And it seemed just absolutely full on indifference or just, there was just, it seemed to me that there was no care 
that I was his child mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Like I was something that was a mistake and he would prefer I just be erased. And I could not understand why I was so much of a problem to that man. I It was, it was insanity. And it was just so much that by the time I was on that bench, it was not a sense of where are my loving parents coming to help me? Forever. I already knew I was not loved. I already knew I was not cared for. If anything, being taken to get a new outfit that morning uh-huh. was a surprise. I was like, oh, are things changing for the better? Do people suddenly care about me now? No. Exactly. It, exactly. It was just sitting me there so I didn't look entirely destitute, I guess. And so when they went through the intake process of, you know, figuring out who I was, putting me in foster care and so forth when I was seven, they do this medical exam. Okay. And there's this sort of detached sterility to it. It's very sterile. It's very cold and uncaring. And maybe that's changed. But in, I guess that would have been 1998 with those particular people, it felt very, very cold. And there's this medical exam room and they lay you down on this very flat bed. It's actually more like a stainless steel slab. Okay. And they make you undress and lay down on this thing. And they put like a sheet over you, you know, after they undress you or whatever, but they're looking for marks and bruises and so on and so forth. And they also do this in your pelvis area. Mm -hmm. And there's this male doctor and I guess a nurse here and they're here looking at my pelvis and the doctor says, okay, there's this dent here in your vaginal area. Uh, slightly below the canal what happened to you here and I'm trying to tell him I don't know I don't know what happened or what it could have been and he's like what do you mean you don't know it's on your body how do you not know I'm like I just don't and so he made this kind of dismissive clicking noise and you know okay get up put your clothes on At the time, I was still seven. I still did not understand or put together the night of passing out and the bleeding the next day and all of that. I didn't know what all of that meant. It wasn't until well later on when I started being raped by my stepdad that I understood what must have occurred that night. Um, And by the time... I was sent back to Mm -hmm. live with my mother and my stepdad, which is about six months from me being put in foster care uh, after being seven. I, the depth and severity of the abuse that went on under my stepdad's hand Mm -hmm. was an entirely different factor because it was so psychological. It was an entire, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, and I won't use profanity for it, but it was a mind yeah, mind thing. Gotcha. And gotcha. It's so bad because 
looking back on what happened, okay, I can truly say if I hadn't lived with my biological dad uh-huh. for that two, almost two and a half years, mm-hmm. then probably I would not have been so pliable during the abuse of my stepdad I probably would not have accepted it as much I probably would have fought more but by the time I came back to that house I was already so broken inside and hurt and defeated Mm. to where I fully had the idea and concept that I was just not a wanted child that I was just, that it was never for me to expect to be loved or protected in any way, shape or form. And it just kind of set the tone for me to be not only abused, but used so effectively. And my stepdad's home, I paid bills. Um, He sold CDs where he would have me and my brother out on the corners of grocery stores selling CDs outside. What kinds of CDs? What do you mean? Just gospel CDs. Gospel CDs. Okay. He was a pastor. He also ran a recording studio. He also had an arm service and sold computers. Like he did a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of the main secretary for all of these things. He even had a, a paper route that he did. And so a typical day for me usually started at two or 3 a.m where he would wake me up, we'd go get in the car, he'd go to the Times, or I believe it was the Times that we delivered for. Um, and he put the paper, the newspaper bundles into the back of the car mm-hmm. and the bags. My job was to assemble the papers and put them into the little plastic baggies or okay. whatever and stack them up and have them ready right beside his right hand so he could just reach down grab it and toss it out the window um it was my job to do this with some odd 400 papers a day while he took a nap now you're saying this was your job so were you attending school during this time no he pulled me out of school okay pulled out of school okay Mm -hmm. yeah because it's with with you being in school there's always a propensity that you would be able probably to um, have a discussion or or, or, mm-hmm. or or let out some of the details of what you were going through. It, it, and I'm just, you know, making an assumption here that uh, by isolating you, which is what a lot of abusers do uh, mm-hmm. to those under, under their uh, abuse is, you know, that, that sense of placing you in isolation that way. Um, and then also that's about the control um, right. having you rely only on that individual, you know, mm-hmm. even, I mean, I, I have to first say just listening to, uh, the details of your story. And I mean, I, I've hear, I've heard components that I had not even heard you express before. Uh, I just have to say, I am sorry that you had to go through that. Um, you know, as an educator, I work with children and oftentimes, you know, when there are uh, certain responses and there are things that, you know, triggers uh, in terms of how they engage, um, you know, 
you never know what is going on with the child. And to hear that there were adults around you, but, but of no service to you. Um, and when I say that, I, I'm thinking that people, of course, may have done the best that they could. That's why, you know, I thought about them being afraid in the instance of your father, um, those around him, maybe being afraid of him, um, mm -hmm. maybe may feeling threatened by him. But it just seems that even the adults were powerless and um, they could have been, you know, victims of abuse themselves, uh, not sure how to handle the situation. But at the end of the day, there's you, this young person who who needs, you know, like, where's the love and compassion? Even when, you know, you were being uh, checked out at the hospital, like, where was the compassion for, you know, you, of course, you couldn't articulate, uh, you know, what exactly had happened to you, you know, um, you couldn't find the words, you were still very young, but where is well, I had passed out? Yes. So where's so I passion for this child? Nobody explained it. Exactly. So you yourself wasn't even sure as to everything that had occurred. So mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, for me, just listening, it's again, like, where is the compassion? Where is the love? Um, even uh, with your stepfather, it sounds as if that he had been controlling the entire house. You mentioned that your mom came from an abusive situation. So mm -hmm. if she's unable to protect herself, mm -hmm. um, it is of course uh, more difficult for her to protect uh, those that, you know, her own children. Um, mm -hmm. And that's certainly understandable when you understand the levels of abuse and all that it involves. But I, I wanna know how, where, at what point did you, did you, because you're not in school, you're, you're, you're being made into put in charge of all of these things and mm -hmm. to benefit, uh, the stepfather, what, at what point did you start to understand, or did you say something has to change? Like I can't continue uh, because it, didn't, it doesn't seem that there were any adults around you that were able to do that for you. So where did you find that within yourself? It didn't happen until after I got out of the situation. So when, so going through that household and it's, it's somehow even, how do I put this? Without just like telling everything, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, create an understanding of how deeply manipulative and brainwashing that situation was. I'm gonna kind of very succinct it as much as possible. This man, one of his favorite exercises would be to separate us and say, you know, he'd pull you into a room by yourself. Mm -hmm. And he'd say, what have you been doing that you had no business doing? Mm -hmm. Open-ended question don't know how to answer that right and then he would if you say well nothing then you'd start being beat and then he'd just keep beating you and he'd say these leading statements where he wants you to go with this idea um and so after a while after you've been being beat for literally eight hours straight and not allowed to eat while it's happening you you start to okay what does he want to hear 
because right. I need this to stop. And this could go on for days and until and he would get to, it, 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 until he would get to what he wants to hear. And it was the most heinous things that he wanted you to accuse yourself of. Mm. And then when it was done, he would say, yeah, God told me that you did this. Also, this other person in the house told me that you did this. And you were the only person who was going this far lying to me. Mm. And like, what? And so now, not only are you saying, what do you mean God told you this if it never happened? But you're also looking at these other people in the house like, oh, so you said this. You lied on me. How could you lie on that's, me? Like that's that's divisive. That's how, that's how he, was able, he was able to uh, make sure that you guys weren't planning or doing anything against him. He divided you, he, you know, divide and conquer. It, that was very, his, his thought process and that was divisive to make sure that you weren't uh, you know, you hadn't trust be that you didn't trust anyone except for him. Right. And so it began, it just kept getting deeper and deeper and worse and worse in absolutely impossible ways because it got to the point where we were padlocked in our rooms. I was not allowed to go to the bathroom without knocking on the door for someone to come let me out to go to the bathroom, then escort me back to this room. I was never allowed by myself unless I was padlocked in my room. And still we were being accused of new things. So it turned into literally, it became so oppressive. It became every single part of our life that we were these evil demonic creatures that, and he would call us such all the time to the point where I had times throughout my childhood where I would be sitting in a room by myself after getting beat and I've got weeping open wounds. And I'm thinking to myself, I deserve this because I'm such a horrible, disgusting person. And then it would hit me. Wait a minute. Wow. I didn't do any of this. I didn't do anything. How right. It was such a complete and total brainwashing mm -hmm. to where everything you did every day was how do I keep him happy? Mm -hmm. What do I do to always be on top of everything in every perfect way? And so when I tell you my brainwash was absolutely complete, there was, I was completely under. And the, the way we got out was over the course of a weekend, he beat my brother that's now grown to the point to where my brother almost died. Okay. And the Sunday before the Monday we got out, we went to our church and the only people there were me, my younger sister, and him, and his brother. My mom, I don't think she was there because she was at home to be able to let, to, excuse me, Tavares go to the bathroom. So, because he was locked up in his room, my mom would have to let him out to go to the bathroom. So um, that Sunday, he said to me, my sister and his brother, that he didn't think that God wanted my mother and my brother Tavares to be a part of our family anymore. And that God felt like they were unsavable. He also talked about buying land in the middle of Texas mm -hmm. and us moving out to that land 
-hmm. where he would start up his church and the other people who wanted to be a part of his church would move out there. He talked about how I would not be allowed to marry. And if I was, the person I would be allowed to marry would be picked by him and we would have to stay on property. Very cult-like. So it sounds very, um, you know, almost as if he was trying to start a community, like almost like a Jim Jones yeah. type of- Very cult. Uh, very cult, yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so at, at what point, like, how, how do you, how do you get away from this? Like, how do you, how do you get from under this type of, um, lead, I, I don't I almost said leadership because it didn't feel like, it doesn't sound like it feels like a family anymore. It sounds like you're, you're within this, uh, this organization or this um, community like that he's trying to keep, yeah, that he's trying to keep together. So how do you get away from that? The next day he took me out to do a fundraiser at this place called Cotton's Grocery. And okay. he left my mom and my brother at home and he was watching me. All of a sudden he gets a call from my mom and that was the first time he had left me alone somewhere. He went back to the house so quick then he came back, told me to pack everything in the car, and he tried to flee the state. Apparently, my brother had asked to be let to go to the bathroom. Okay. Um, he managed to get out through a bathroom window, which, mind you, all of the windows in the house were nailed down and painted black facing the rest of the street. We had an eight-foot-tall privacy fence all over our back, uh, backyard as well. This particular window was high off the ground, though. So they hadn't bothered with it. My brother had to, he was so broken, they thought he was going to die. His, mm -hmm. one of his ankles was broken. His other leg, I think they said was broken. He had to use his upper body strength to somehow get this window open, tumble out of it and crawl around our backyard to a neighbor's house to call the police. Um, over the next few months, I went through this very difficult process because mind you, I was with my stepdad when all this went down as he tried to flee the state. And at first he ran, but then he realized his children, my sister and my youngest brother that stays with me now were going to be left behind. So he decided to go back specifically with the purpose of me taking care of his kids and doing everything I could to do damage control. All the way back to Shreveport, he's saying, I'm so sorry I believed all that stuff Tavar said about you. And, oh, I should have known. And, oh, well, once this is over with, I promise I'm gonna make up to you. And, oh, I'm so sorry about all these other times. Like he just said all these apologies and gave me all these instructions. Make sure you contact this pastor and tell him what's going on and make sure my children don't end up with your mom's family. He gave me all these instructions and told me about how he was so grateful that God had me available to make sure his family was going to be okay. And my poor brainwashed self, I'm like, okay, whatever you say, sir. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of the car, I went directly into that mindset and it took months for me to break out of what he had brainwashed me into Mm -hmm. Not so much so just because I believed it to be true, mm -hmm. but because 
he had been arrested before for battery and um, pedophilia because he had been messing around with a 16 year old girl and then beat up her boyfriend when he found out she had a boyfriend and he got out. He got out on the charges. This this man has basically, you know, lived a life of an of being an abuser a pedophile had not been um under any uh you know had not been arrested had not been put away so he just continued right. the cycle everyone he touched every everyone that came into his space right. during this during this time that he was doing all of these things um what type of reaction or um what what type of behavior uh, did you see uh, coming from uh, other people in your, well, I'm not saying other people, what type of behavior was your mother exhibiting at the time? If you, if you feel comfortable talking about that, oh, did, no, she okay. peer, did she appear afraid? Does she uh, seem to yeah. be agreeable? Well, the thing was, and I, I knew this at the time, but I still had to make peace with it as an adult. My mom was not only terrified, but the brainwash that happened to me Mm -hmm. was excessively amplified for her. Wow. There'd be times where he would, sometimes he'd just go on six hour tirades Mm -hmm. where he'd just yell and scream and talk at people nonstop. And I could look at her face and her face would be completely blank. Mm -hmm. It was like she was so overwhelmed that she would just mentally check out. And then all of a sudden she'd have this, every now and then, he wasn't regularly, but every now and then she'd have this moment where she had been vacant. And then all of a sudden she would just snap back. Mm -hmm. And when she would snap back, the return would range from verbal anger where she just starts lashing out and screaming and hollering at him and then he would put her outside where she would scream and holler and bang on the door for sometimes a whole hour but it wasn't like a uh this it it was literally like a manic break like just her having a mind break for a moment Mm -hmm. where she would just scream and holler and bang on the door until she had just tired herself out and she would just sit outside on the front step or behind the bushes until he allowed her back in because she couldn't go anywhere. Right. He had taken her away from her family and she didn't even know where they were anymore. Right. And she basically forced her into situations of humiliating herself to her family. Right. She literally had nowhere to be. And sometimes the response would flip into violence Mm -hmm. um, where one time she threw a knife at him and it missed, unfortunately, but then she tried to run. But whenever she would run away, He would keep my younger sister. And eventually, you know, after she had my younger brother, he would keep her too. Mm -hmm. And there would always be this moment where she would come back. And I think it was mainly because she didn't know how she would get her kids if she didn't. Right. And so with everything going on after everything ended, part of the reason it was so hard for me to break away from the brainwashing was because there was this very strong fear that we'd end up going back. Mm-hmm. And if we had to go back, then everything I had done that wasn't according to what he wanted, mm-hmm. I would be severely punished for it. And when this man told you 
that he could kill you, you believed him. Oh, I'm sure. I have three dents in my head Mm -hmm. from when my mom figured out he was watching porn on his computer and he tried to blame it on me. And for some reason, I decided I was going to stand up for myself that day. He threatened that he would beat me in the top of my head with a belt buckle. I called him on his bluff and he proceeded. Wow. They didn't take me to the hospital. They rinsed my hair out in the bathroom sink, toweled it down and sent me outside in a hundred degree weather to sell CDs. Wow. When that man said he would kill you, you believed him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at, at that point or, you know, once he had everyone under his control, there was no no reason to doubt. Uh, I'm sure you felt there was no reason to doubt. Did you do you blame uh, anyone? Do you feel uh, a sense of blame for anyone for what has happened to you? No. no, I blame the people who had their actions that they did what they did. But at the same time, and this is somewhat of a recent thing for me, mm-hmm. it, I, I understood my mother from watching her as a child. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, well, she just wasn't strong enough. Okay. Then uh, my grandmother, may she rest in peace, she passed away a couple of years ago. And before she passed away, I lived with her and my mom for a little while. And I learned a lot more about my mother's childhood and my grandmother's life finding out my grandmother was abused. Okay. Then my mother was abused and so on and so forth. And this has gone on for so long. And I learned about the types of- Generational curse. And I learned about the types of things that my mother endured. Mm -hmm. She explained to me what a dime bag was. I never knew what it was. Could you tell tell our listeners, what is that? uh, A dime bag is when you're selling drugs, um, a dime bag is the amount of drugs that fit into a tiny Ziploc bag the size of a dime. Okay, okay. I never knew that. Um, it got brought up. I think my grandma had mentioned something about a dime bag, and I just didn't understand what that meant. And so when my grandma left, I asked my mom, and she explained it to me very candidly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, mama, how do you know? And she said, well, you know, when granny and grandpa were younger, um, but back before they really started, you know, being very Christian or what have you, mm-hmm. they would have drug parties. Wow. All kinds of crazy people would come over to the house and it'd be needles all over the ground and this and this and this. And me and my, you know, my sister and my brother, we would hide in the closet sometimes, you know, but, you know, I got a chance to see all kinds of stuff. And I just learned so much about the situation she had at home. So by the time she ended up dealing with a psychopath, even mm-hmm. before the brainwash was totally complete, mm-hmm. She spent a lot of time trying to figure out which was worse, being at home, dealing with crazy crackheads and people abusing her. And she had been molested. Nobody cared or did anything about it. And she was just like, and plus he was always talking about God. He was always talking about how much of a devout Christian he was. So before the abuse got extremely bad for us kids, he started abusing her first as a foundation for it. Mm -hmm. So I just learned so much about her. Right. So literally in the past two months, I finally reached a final level of understanding when it comes to expectations and boundaries. Yes. Mm -hmm. A boundary is something that you set. It is a line where you say, these are the things that I have decided I'm willing to accept or not accept. And if you encroach or surpass that line, 
I get to make the choice to say, I don't want you to be a part of my world. But expectations in some ways are almost kind of like the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. When you know another person and you have expectations of them Mm -hmm. based on what role they are in in your life, for this particular instance, my mother, Mm -hmm. sometimes your expectations can be so strong that you do not see the life that has led them to that place. And it can get to a point to where your expectations, because they are not being met, and because they are not based in the reality of that person's life experience, can nearly become abusive. Me and my mother went through it a lot, especially after I got out of that situation, because I wanted her to be a better mother in so many ways. But I would be so pushy at her about it. I would yell at her about her mistakes all the time. And eventually I had to realize, I know my mother loves me and is kind and is a good woman. Okay. But her life experience caused her to not be able to live up to my expectations of her as a mother because of what she had been through. Does that mean she will never live up to those things? Absolutely not. She has to heal. But as long as I continue to expect that from her without acknowledging and respecting her journey and giving her the space to heal, then I become a new abuser in her world. Now, and- how, do you, how do you, you know, with you, by you understanding that, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it sounds like you've gone through therapy that have, that's helped you to come to a place of understanding because you're certainly uh, a survivor. I mean, to be able to sit here and discuss this, as I said earlier, in, in the most articulate, eloquent way um, to, to be able to look at the situation um, as it occurred and be able to sit here and talk about it and explain it to others, but then... Uh, to also be able to see that those who participated in the process may have been going through their own things, to be able to accept and understand that your mother had, that she was also abused. And that as a result, that abuse led her to respond and react the way that she did. Um, Because clearly there is a history there. Is it fair to say that you have come to a place of forgiveness. Yes, that's actually, it was literally the understanding of boundaries and expectations that brought me to be able to understand forgiveness. Okay. Because when I was going through it, and I'm telling you, when I tell you this is recent, yes. I mean, literally in the past couple of months. So, awesome, awesome, okay. <laughs> I, okay. I, I remember when I was growing up, one thing that people used to always say to me, well, it'll get better one day. I used to hate that because I was like, I'm not at one day right now, I'm at today. Right. And right now what you're telling me is not helping me today. And so I try to be that person who can meet people at their today. But anyways, um, <laughs> when it comes to forgiveness, the way that I now understand it is, forgiveness isn't about resolving or absolving someone of accountability Mm. accountability is your own journey to find based on your own actions yes forgiveness instead says it's that space between expectations and boundaries forgiveness says my expectation of you 
was this, because you are my father. Instead, you did not meet those expectations. If anything, I can forgive you mm -hmm. of not meeting my expectations, but you will always be accountable for your actions. So you're not- My forgiveness does not person. take that away from you. Okay. Okay. But I forgive you for not meeting my expectations. And because I forgive you of not meeting my expectations, I don't have to carry my expectations with me anymore. You are now absolved oh, okay. of my need from you. Okay. I don't need that from you. You cannot provide it to me. And you have failed on what you can offer me in my world. I now release that back to you. Here is your forgiveness, me mm -hmm. releasing to you what you cannot give me. And you can go on about your merry mate. Ain't no reason for me to be mad about it because I don't have an expectation from you anymore. Okay. So you are absolving that person based upon your expectations. Exactly. I love that. I love that. So would you say that in talking to others who may have uh, encountered abuse, um, and, and, and looking at, you know, their situations and getting past their situations that mm -hmm. your advice to them would be to release the individual based upon their expectations. I would first say, mm -hmm. never try to force yourself to forgive someone because before you're ready. Okay. Forgiveness is a process that we have to find on our own. Okay. And if you try to make yourself find forgiveness before you truly, well, I don't want to say, if you try to make yourself give forgiveness mm -hmm. before you have found it for yourself, mm -hmm. then you will feel resentment. You yeah. will feel emptiness. You will still feel wronged. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is a sense of empowerment. It is a yeah. sense of knowing that someone's lack of proper behavior mm -hmm. is no longer going to be a factor affecting you for your life. And people have to find that first. So that's why people either hate the idea of forgiveness like I did, or they keep trying to forgive, but it doesn't seem to stick because they aren't actually forgiving. They're just trying to release Mm. or they're trying to do what people are telling them to do. Mm. And that's not going to work. Right. My definition of forgiveness, as so put, may work for some people, but other people may see it in an entirely different way. But my advice to people would be decide what you want. Mm -hmm. Decide who mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. And as you look at your narrative of your life, decide the parts that you can identify that made you victorious, that made you strong. Operate in that. For me, mm -hmm. there was a lot of pain there. Okay. But I know that I learned that I can work very well under stress. I learned that I am extremely professional. I learned that I can put down my personal problems to be empathetic to other people. Okay. I learned so many wonderful things that I decide to take as strengths from that experience. Mm -hmm. And as I live my life in those strengths and carve out who I am, mm -hmm. that is what helped me to find the power 
to define forgiveness. So I like identifying myself as a survivor, but I also like to identify myself as a pathfinder. I found my path and I try to help other people see their path so they can get to it because that's really what it all boils down to. After a while, you have to start to decide to stop telling the story of Mm -hmm. somebody else Mm -hmm. while you were in it and realize you're the main character of your own story. You get to write it from whatever point that you can find. There are some people that will hear this to where they can't force their way out of their situation. Like I was when I was a child. Right. But my escape was in my head. Some therapist calls it disassociating. I call it, I needed to be somewhere else for a moment. So I would make up stories in my head. I would have whole storylines going while I dealt with everything that I was dealing with because that's what helped me to make it through. And when I did find my way out, Mm -hmm. I decided that I didn't want to be what my experience had created me to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. There, I'm a nerd, so I like games. I like anime, (laughs) that kind of stuff. And I remember watching this particular animated show and the main protagonist had kind of gone through some really tough stuff. And, but he was hard-headed and he was very specific about what he wanted to do with his life. And I remember watching that show and thinking to myself, who am I? Like, what am I becoming? Because at that time in my life, I was just going through the motions. I just woke up every day. I went to school, went to my college courses. I just did stuff, but I didn't feel like I was a person. I felt like I was a shadow just walking among the rest of the world. And so finally I was like, okay, what am I doing? Who am I? And I was like, well, I don't know who I am. I've been through all this stuff and I never had time to figure it out. And I was like, well, maybe stop looking at what happened Mm -hmm. to find a piece of yourself. Okay, well, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm doing with my life either. Okay, that's fine too. Just pick something. What do you want to be? I said, I wanted to be someone who was kind. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be someone who smiled and could make other people smile. Okay. And I said, I wanted to be someone who could still see the best in people, no matter how much I had seen the worst in people. I absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. The fact that despite all of those things, you just said it. You said, mm-hmm. I choose to see the best in people despite seeing the worst in people. Mm-hmm. Jeanette, you have shown and displayed so much uh, courage today. Um, I appreciate your candor. I appreciate uh, all of your, um, you know, you, you're fearless in, in my eyes. Um, you know, you're a pillar of strength. Uh, you yes, you are a survivor. You're a thriver, and in your words, you are a pathfinder, helping others to uh, find their path. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and uh, being a light for other people. Can you please tell our listeners where they can find you? Because I, I have a sense that there's a book sometime on the horizon. <laughs> 
<laughs> but definitely, where can they find you on social media? Where would they be able to find you? I am on Instagram and Facebook with the same moniker. It's Blue Sword Angel, all put together. Um, that's my personal page. There's a whole story behind that, but <laughs> um, but if you go to Facebook and you put in, you know, forward slash Blue Sword Angel, you'll find my personal page. Same with my Instagram, and then also um, I do have a um, spiritually uplifting consulting uh, business. It's called Story to Tell Consulting. Okay. You can find me on Facebook by putting that in, facebook.com forward slash story to tell consulting. Okay. Okay. Awesome. 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 Guys, um, those of you out there that um, are have faced something similar to this or know someone, uh, I ask that you please share this uh episode to uh, reach out to Jeanette um, you know she, her story as I told you from the very beginning like she is truly truly a survivor and uh, I meant what I said that you know she's a light to other people um, to, to, to hear this wonderful this beautiful woman talk about you know and, and as I said such an eloquent way um, you you have no idea Jeanette how uh, that is an encouragement to someone who can't even see. I, I know uh, in your biography, you mentioned that you had felt once that you were in a black hole, but you've just provided light to those who feel that same way. So I, I thank you for that. Um, I, I thank you so much uh, for coming onto my platform and, and just uh, speaking your truth. Uh, so I appreciate you. Uh, please leave a message if you are interested. Uh, you know, tell us how this episode has touched you. Um, tell us how you were impacted by it. Please uh, leave a message on the message board. Um, this is Deirdre Simmons. I am the host of Sip and Tea with D. Uh, please be sure to check us out every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would definitely love to hear from you. But Jeanette, I want to thank you again for coming here and sipping a bit of tea with us. Um, I wish you best of luck. And once your book is released... Uh, I certainly uh, would love to have you back on any of the platform uh, to discuss this um, because as I said, you bring light to those who uh, are in darkness. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you and have a wonderful, wonderful evening. You too. Thank you. Child abuse is a serious matter, and because silence can be the ally for an abuser, if you or someone you know are being hurt or you suspect or see signs of abuse, please contact your local authorities by first dialing 911. For additional resources, you can also reach the National Child Abuse Hotline. Their number is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. 
Again, that number is one 422 You can call, text, or you may log into their national website at childhelp.org for a live chat. Thank you.